business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Welcome to another episode of How to Sell Your Business podcast. I had the opportunity to visit with Bill McDermott, uh, who's known as the profitability coach. And, you know, I'm really skeptical on those consultants and people like that. And I, and it, it came from a referral um, who actually from Business Radio X, uh, uh, John Ray, and and he, first thing he said was, "What a quality guy he is!" And, and this is such an understatement. And so I'm I'm thrilled to death about about the time that you're getting ready to spend here on the podcast because Bill really help provide some clarity on number one, how to identify an advisor. Are you, you know, what, if you're going to hire somebody, what, what's the difference between signal and noise? Who, how do you, when should you expect a return on your investment? And so as, as we went through the podcast, you know, not only is, was he well-versed in, in so many different attributes of the selling process, of what creates value to, you know, actually the the whole exit process. So I think you're going to find that Bill, as the profitability coach, really helped provide some some really helpful nuggets on how you can make some immediate changes to your business to increase the value, the, the transferable value. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bill McDermott of The Profitability Coach. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell at maximum value how they want, to whom they want, and at maximum value. On today's show, I'm so excited to to welcome Bill McDermott, of, who is known as the profitability coach. And for anybody that is at all follow, that are that are small business owners, they know how important profitability and earnings are to the success of their business. And so I am so fortunate to have this guy. I, I was connected by a, uh, another mutual friend, uh, John Ray at, from uh, Business Radio X, and he connected us. And boy, what a what a great opportunity this is! And I'm looking so forward to to learning a lot about about earnings. And so, Bill, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit? I at the, at the beginning, I shared a little bit about your your bio before we started recording. Uh, so can you just kind of? Give just a little bit of lay of the land how you how you got to be the profitability coach. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, Ed, first let me say thank you for having me. Uh, the excitement is is mutual on both sides. Uh, I was excited when you invited me to come on the show, uh, and uh, so yeah, my uh, my background is I was a Wake Forest University grad. Uh, I spent. 32 years in the banking industry, and then all of a sudden, 
2009 hit, uh, the Great Recession hit, and so I was laid off in my banking career. Uh, I was scared to death, but I also realized, looking back, it was it was the best thing that had happened to me. Uh, during my banking time, I really discovered that business owners really struggled uh, with the financial management aspect of their business. I had built up a treasure trove of banking and financial knowledge uh, in my career as a banker. And so I launched uh, the Profitability Coach, really helping business owners drive earnings through becoming finan better financial managers. You know, every business owner has a big dream for their company and wants to make it happen. What happens sometimes, though, is they don't really know if the decisions they're making are helping or hurting. Uh, they may not know exactly how to manage the finances of their business. And so we have a process where we identify the hurdles that are getting in the way uh, and to deliver to them a company that has uh, profitability that, honestly, they never thought was possible. And so excited to uh, talk about that with you today. You're absolutely right. It is all about earnings, and uh, I would love to dive into that with you. Well, then that's where we'll get started. And and in I have – most of my career has been centered around around working with with owners and 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 business value. I mean, that's what that's ultimately when we start the process of selling a company, that's what everybody wants to know. And everybody gets so hung up on multiples that they hear, you know, they're at they're at the club and they hear the multiples. They 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 they're watching the news and they hear price to earnings ratios and, and different things like that. And, and the more that I've, I guess the, the longer I've been in the business and, and I just turned, you know, I've been in it 30 years now. It's, it is all about earnings. And I guess that's, that's where I'd like to start. It seems so fundamental that, that value is based on profitability, but, it doesn't seem to resonate with business owners or, you know, they're, they're so caught up in working the business. And if I, if I'm able to pay myself, if I'm able to do the things I want to do and have the freedom I, I, I want no big deal up until the part where they think they want to sell. So, so why is, why is that component so glossed over? You know, I think you hit on it, by the way, uh, absolutely great question and, and great topic. Um, you mentioned it a little bit yourself. You know, I I hold the view that business owners are so busy working in the business, they don't really take time out to work on the business. Uh, they don't have that time where they're really looking at strategy. And so, honestly, I think uh, every business owner should take time to stop working in the business and work on it. Uh, to your point on earnings. Uh, I share with my clients that, generally speaking, a 1% increase in your top line is equivalent to a 10% increase in your bottom line. You know, revenue is vanity, but profit is sanity. Yeah. And so in order to be sane, we really need to be focusing on driving earnings, but also by driving revenue. Uh, we could go down the path of you know, generally speaking, clients I talk to, their prices are too low. Uh, they have more value 
to their product or to their service than they think they do. Or second, uh, they maybe haven't figured out a way to actually increase volume. Uh, but both are equally important and both can equally drive revenue, therefore drive earnings. Yeah, but boy, I'll tell you, it, it's hard It's hard to make that leap of faith. Like I'm yep. going to increase prices and – Oh my gosh, if I leave, if I do this, you know, what's the likelihood I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose customers. So I, I totally see that that's low lying fruit that you can do. But I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a business owner, how do you, how do you coach me into, I'm just go ahead and throw caution to the wind and let's, let's, uh, let's increase price by 15%. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, uh, excellent question. So the way I approach that with my clients, is um, uh, I'm going to use, uh, let's pretend I go to Walmart. When I go to Walmart, I'm prepared and I go there because I'm going to get the lowest price, okay. but I'm generally not going to be able to find any kind of help in the service aisle. So I have to know exactly where it is. And then when I get to the checkout, I have to wait a, a long time in line because the lines are so long. And by the way, because the parking lot's so full, I even have a hard time finding a parking spot. But by golly, they got the cheapest prices. On the other hand, if I go to Ace Hardware, Ace Hardware, the guy meets me at the door. What are you looking for? Well, I need some fertilizer for my garden. Okay, it's on aisle three. And by the way, these are the three types that we have. This one has a fertilizer and a weed killer in it. And by the way, most of my clients like that one. I get a whole lot of service, a whole lot of value. And so therefore, I go to Ace Hardware because I want the help. I want the expertise and I pay for that in the price. So we as business owners have two choices. We can either be a Walmart or we can be an Ace Hardware. And the value that we create for our clients, either in time savings or money savings, is Mm -hmm. worth the increase in price. So a lot of business owners, I think, position themselves as providing a commodity and not really diving into the value that they're creating for their clients. And they're afraid to price accordingly. And I think a lot of that is a mindset issue. Ed, we all have self-limiting beliefs that maybe our business, our product or service just isn't worth the price. And everybody else is telling us we're silly. Because it really is. And so I think it really boils down to more of a mindset issue. Um, not raising prices is a scarcity mindset. Yeah. But the reality yeah. is there's an abundance of clients out there that appreciate you and value the product or service that you offer. Yeah, I, I get that. And I'm an Ace Hardware guy. I, 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 will, I love Ace Hardware. And one of, one of the things... I, I recognize that I'm I'm willing to pay a premium for for that, but I guess the follow up to that is is I'm already paying a premium because I'm you know Lowe's and Home Depot and Menards, you know they've got lower prices, but like you said, I'm paying for the service. So if I'm that Ace Hardware, you know, and how am I? I'm already doing service. How do I how do I stress test what that threshold is before I start losing customers? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
I adopt the idea that I'm going to ask my clients, am I continuing to deliver the value that they expected when they first hired me? And also, as I'm putting my services or putting my products out there, if no one is telling me I'm too high, I'm going to automatically assume I'm too low. That's a good point. That, that's that's so, really good. So where is where is that area? You know, back when I was in banking, I had a client. It was great. This client told me, Bill, my loyalty to you ends with a quarter of a point on my interest rate. <laughs> and that so totally I totally makes sense. Yeah. And so I knew that I could get another quarter, but I wasn't going to get a half. And by golly, I better be right on with that loan fee yeah. as well. Yeah, and and I'm I'm with you on the the, the scarcity versus abundant mindset. I, I think the race to the bottom is is always a losing proposition, and I I know it's the default position for a lot of owners to that they feel that they have to compete. Um, but boy, but like you were saying on mindset, that is a real big ask for yeah, it um, is somebody to change. You know, and so uh, to your point earlier. If we kind of reverse engineer the conversation, those business owners that aren't driving earnings through mm-hmm. revenue want the want the multiple to be higher to make up for the profit that they could be getting by charging more, but they're not. A hundred percent. The reality yeah. is if I it doesn't matter what multiple I use, if I have a dollar's worth of net profit, that equates to in a five times multiple, five times five dollars of business value. Right. And so yeah, if I'm not driving the earnings, I want the multiple to be high. But that's yeah, the wrong it, focus to your earlier point. The focus well, is on earnings. Yeah. So when you focus on earnings and you and, and you increase it to, you know, a you know twenty percent increase, you know, and you put a five multiple on that versus a put the same you know, increase on the multiple. I mean, it's two entirely different results. So yep. the earnings taking advantage of the number of t- turns on the multiple is is always superior. Okay, so there's four areas of profitability improvement that that we typically see. So it's reducing costs, increasing uh, turnover, inventory turnover, increasing productivity, and increasing efficiency. Those are big, big components of a business. So, but what is, what do you think is the biggest area? Like, I should focus. If I'm a business owner, I should focus on this. And, and I, I suppose it's it's company specific. But, but generally speaking, in, in your experience, where do I focus my attention? Yeah. So I'm going to. Um... I'm going to go back and maybe share a story, but uh, this saying did not originate with me, but revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, but cash flow is reality. So I was working with a company that was a management consulting firm, international firm. They were doing incredibly well, but they got into trouble during the Great Recession because Nobody was introdu- was doing much, if any, management consulting uh, when when you know the downturn came. 
So this company had to do a pivot, basically did, and went from losing a half million dollars a year to making a half million. It was a million dollar swing in a year. It was absolutely fabulous. But this business owner said, Bill, I made a half million dollars in profit this year. Where's the cash? And basically, I I said to him, I said, Randy, look, you see that big honker accounts receivable number that's sitting on your balance sheet? I said, there's your profit. If you go out and collect it, then you'll have the cash. So certainly focus on profit. But I also think focusing on cash flow. I mean, profit doesn't pay payroll. Cash does. And so I generally try to focus on profit. But if you aren't doing, to your earlier point, turning the inventory, collecting the receivables, um, you're missing out on cash that could be sitting in your bank account instead of sitting in your clients or your vendor's bank account. Yeah. And, and a lot of business owners fail to understand that when a buyer goes to buy their business, it is, there's two checks that they write. The first one is for the business. Second one is for the working capital. And, and I don't think that they recognize, or I I think they have a hard time recognizing that there's a lot of, that the more that's tied up in working capital and it like to your point, that's not in cash and it's going to cost me, you know, to, 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 fund the working capital more than it should because you know I'm letting you know I'm not collecting receivables in a in a timely fashion or what whatever the 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 issue is whether it's debt inventory or whatever that's a big that impairs a company's ability to sell and I think you probably have coached a lot of people on, you know, if you, if you hone in on your working capital, you're going, you're reducing your risk, which is increasing your value, right? Yeah. To your point. So recently we successfully completed a management buyout where, uh, this, uh, professional services firm sold the company for $13 million. And it was a combination of seller financing and, and bank debt financing. Mm-hmm. But when the negotiation on the purchase agreement came, you know, the seller wanted basically to take as much cash out of the business as they possibly could. And so the uh, it, the broker stepped in and said, you know, time out. Uh, we need to have adequate working capital. We got payroll. We got purchases, uh, all of this. And so the owners were thinking about their pocket. They should be thinking about their pocket. But also, since they had seller financing involved by stripping out all the working capital, you know, they put their their debt at risk to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, working capital is incredibly important. And the the funny thing is that they they look at the, the, and one of the best things that you've said today is just that, that they did, that the, the seller financing and the working capital that they put the 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 seller financing note at risk by by how they were treating the working capital that's a and, and if i'm a business owner that that's a big takeaway right there that you 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 don't understand or you need to understand that 
that they all they're all intertwined together. Everything is intertwined and and each each component of a business has risks and benefits and by by not acknowledging one you're putting another at risk. That that was awesome. Um go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say so in my banking career as I was talking to business owners uh I coined a term called bank speak. Okay. And what I found was happening is I was throwing out terms, working capital being one, cash flow being another, inventory turnover being another. I caught myself using terms that my clients didn't understand. And so I think you and I take for granted, everybody knows what working capital means, Ed, but what I found is many business owners, because nobody taught them accounting in school, and there's no on-the-job training when you're a business owner. Right. I have to be careful to define terms that I'm using because a lot of times I use terms people don't understand. No, that's a that's a great point, and, and that was one of my questions: is with with all of this information out there, with you know, the with everything that's all over the internet, with you know, just the content, the vast amount of content, how or why do you think that business owners aren't more versed in Basic accounting. Yeah. Um, I think everybody starts out, if you're starting a business from scratch, it's because you're a great technician at whatever it is that you do. Got it. So, for example, coming out of uh, a banking career of 30 years, I saw a lot of business owners that ran businesses, but I had never run a business myself. I got it. I was never one that had to go out and basically do everything that needed to be done for me to have a paycheck. And so I think they're great technicians. A CPA is a good accountant, an architect, you know, somebody like me who's a business consultant now. Thank goodness I had a lot of accounting and finance in my background. Um, but they're good technicians. They just haven't learned how to become business people. Yeah. And so if you haven't taken accounting and finance classes in school or gone to some seminar or maybe a community college to take some courses, you don't really feel like you're well-versed in how to, how to manage or how to run a business. Ed, you're a good technician. Yeah. You're just not a business yeah. person. Yeah, and I agree. I, I agree with you. And, and one of the the challenges that we bump into is just that: is how how do you? You're a great technician, but you're not a great business owner. And as a buyer of your business, I really need you to be a great business owner because that's who I'm replacing. I I'm not the technician. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Um. One of your claims to fame is 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 your your coaching that that you're able to you're able to coach people through complex matters, and I guess I, I'm I'm curious to know how you get over the pushback of time, and I, as a as a guy with not a lot of it, I'm sitting here going, all right, if if he asked me to fix a component of my business. How do, how do I 
make more time to do what you're asking. And you can have all the empirical evidence that it's going to fix all, it's going to fix everything in the business or fix this part of the business. Do I have to wait till the pain is great enough? Or do you have some secret sauce to, to help me overcome that? Yeah. Um, no secret sauce, but I think I maybe just some common sense. Uh, again, uh, I think business owners tend to want to be all things to all people. Uh, they might also be very high control. It's not going to get done well unless I do it. And so the business owner becomes, for lack of a better term, Ed, the choke point in their own business. They're their own worst enemy. And so statistically, do you know how many companies break through the $1 million revenue barrier in the $10 million revenue barrier? No, how many? 10% through the 1 million barrier, only 3% through wow. the 10 million barrier of all businesses believe. that ever start. What's I, the number one reason? Delegation. And so okay. what I what I tell that business owner uh, is, look, your time is valuable. You know, mm -hmm. I calculated uh, an effective hourly rate for a business owner by taking the profit in their business plus their salary. And, and it came out to about $150 an hour. And so I said, okay. look, any activity in your business that can be done less than $150 an hour, you need to hire somebody to do it because it will allow you to increase your hourly rate to 200, then to 250. Yeah. And so the ability to, take on those things that they're not taking on is, is basically just giving those tasks to other people and allowing them to focus on more revenue generating activities versus administrative activities. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and I, I can hear the business owner going, yeah, where am I going to find this person? You yeah. know, it's such a challenge, you know. Everybody, everybody that's working for me is, you know, the, everybody's complaining that they're overworked and underpaid. If I add another person, where am I going to find them? And how, you know, how does how do I? And then it, it, I, I shouldn't say how do I. Then then it's throw your hands up, screw it, I'll do it myself. You know, and and that's the default position because of the difficulty of what you're asking. I totally agree with you. I I think I think the the next generation of business owners it it's about delegation and automation. I totally totally believe that that's the path that we're going toward and, and those that either go from, you know, first generation to second generation or or a successful third party sale, I I totally believe that those buyers or that next generation, those people that that have a command of to delegate, whether that's to third parties like Upwork or you know some of these some of these uh, organizations that have, you know the gig economy, or you can find help, or yep. you know, I, I personally I think that's that that is the long term of the successful business. I think. Yeah, so quick story on that. Uh, I work with a client. Uh, their books were an absolute mess. 
they were a multi-million dollar company and they had a accountant who was moonlighting doing their books. Okay. And the financials weren't done on time. There were errors and the owners were spending their time going in and correcting the errors. And I said, look, go out and find somebody who's QuickBooks certified. They can be a CPA. They can just be an accountant, but somebody who is really, really good. And so I referred them to a service uh, that I use because mm-hmm. you find people based on relationships. Um, and, uh, and so they brought this uh, accountant in. This person has straightened out their books in the span of two months. We just had the second month in close. Nice. Bank accounts reconciled. Financial statements were timely and accurate. And this client now has clarity in his financials where before that they had confusion. Yeah. And and again, and, and that's back to you know, knowing where to look for for the talent. And most – like I said, it's the – I th- I think most business owners are faced with the pain of of making the change as opposed to the change itself. You yep. know what I mean? Well, it's the principle of inertia, right? A body at rest tends to stay at rest. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. You know, my business owner client was stuck accepting that moonlighting accounting person getting subpar financials and basically yeah. just made a decision, okay, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm going to upgrade my uh, uh, my requirements and get somebody in here to yeah. do a better job. Yeah, and and again, and that's to your point earlier on on having good good records and being able to 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 have clarity of of your cash position or your financial position is you know that's an that's an important thing. Reading your email and del- and trying to figure out uh, uh, what to do next, somebody probably can can do that a little bit more effective than you. You know. Yeah. The other thing I'll say on that topic, um, I'm a big believer that your balance sheet is more important than your income statement. Uh, your income s- statement certainly measures your profitability, but there are three other things that you care about. You care about your liquidity, how much cash you have. That's on your balance sheet. You care about how you're collecting your receivables and turning your inventory. That's on your balance sheet. And you care about your leverage, how much debt you have relative to the net worth of your business. And so three out of the four things that you track are on your balance sheet. Most business owners don't look at that first. They look at, they look at their income statement first. Yeah, we're, we, we face, we face that. (laughs) We face that too. And, and, and helping, you know, when helping these business owners, they, there is a disconnect between the two. It's, it's what's my net, what's my net income versus, you know, let's, let's, let, let, you know, when we, when we do value work, you know, one of the things that we do is, you know, this is what you're going to put in your pocket. And that, that, and that's part of liquidating your balance sheet. And, you know, oftentimes that's, that's more than, than the tangible and intangible value of the company. You know, yep. once you, once you start liquidating current assets and, and retiring debt, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother event. Oh, go ahead. I, I started to interrupt. I was just going to say the other thing that comes to mind as you're mentioning that is 
Also, most business owners, uh, when they're selling their business, focus on the growth on the gross amount they're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they may not be factoring in taxes if it's an asset sale, uh, as well as uh, debt. And no, so highest price is not always. Yeah. It's the net. Yeah, it's not the we 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 bump into that a lot. That it's not the highest price that's the best price. You know that allocation of purchase price is really really important. It really is. And yeah. So I know you know everything we read. It seems as though we're heading into a recession. All right. That that there's some level of downturn. So granted, it was your greatest blessing that it. Banking, you know, you got displaced and, and here you are. But like, how, how did you make that pivot? And, you know, how, because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are in similar situations or are finding themselves in similar situations right now. Sure. How did, how did you make, make that effective change into entrepreneurship? In your case, you started the business versus, versus buying a business. So how, how, how was that? How did you, how did you get comfortable with the risk that you were taking, I guess? Yeah. So, um, necessity is the mother of invention. My wife <laughs> right. and I had two daughters in college. We had a mortgage to pay and she was the preschool director at our church preschool. And that was not going to be enough to do it. So, Ed, I was I was financially motivated. Um, I read a really great book. Uh, it was uh, called The E Myth by a guy named Michael Gerber. Right. Uh, Michael Gerber says, establish a prototype of the business that you want to build, uh, which in effect is really if you were going to franchise your business, this is what you would show a potential franchisee. Sure. And so uh, I also believe, um, so I'm a person of faith. Uh, part of my prayer time after I was laid off is, you know, I would say to the man upstairs, okay, you closed a door. Uh, would you open a window? And by the way, would you put a little neon around it <laughs> so I can see right. it? <laughs> right. But I found that business owners really struggled with financial management. I was passionate about helping them um, become better financial managers. Uh, Next, um, I found that I'm a pretty good teacher. And so teaching these business owners how to be better financial managers uh, was something that I was good at. And then figuring out how to monetize that. So this is a page out of Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. Uh, if someone's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur themselves, what are you passionate about? What are you best in the world at? And what drives your economic engine? And the where those three circles intersect is your greatness. And so for me, uh, passionate about making business owners better financial managers, teaching them how to run more profitable businesses with healthy cash flow, and then monetizing that as a as a business coach. And that's kind of how I did it. 
Yeah, well, you know what, and that that whole leap of faith thing. I, it, and also, I'm 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 a guy of I'm a red letter guy myself, and so I I totally believe that you know there's some there's some divine intervention that 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 goes into entrepreneurs where you know you're doing you're building the kingdom, you know, and yep. I I totally I totally believe you know no matter where you're at on the on the spiritual spectrum. Yeah, you know, whether it's the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, you know there is some level of wind behind your back to make door these doors yeah. open. Yeah, and so yeah, okay, I, I'm I'm guilty of this too as far as hiring consultants. I am not I, <laughs> I am horrible at it. And one of the things is, you know. When should I expect a return of my investment? It's not writing the check. It's when am I going to get repayment for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, great question. So um, I think uh, in my experience, um, let me uh, let me use – so I've worked with uh, quite a few professional services firms. Uh, I can think of uh, uh, one uh, – psychology firm, three locations, uh, very well-established practice. Uh, this firm hired me for two years. Uh, and essentially what we did is we did an analysis of the business. Uh, we looked at the areas where we could really accelerate financial growth. And then after a two-year period of time, uh, first we focused on collections a lot of their uh, a lot of their receivables were from insurance companies. Insurance companies mm -hmm. are notoriously slow pay, so we basically had them pick up their pace on collections, which put another fifty thousand dollars of cash in the bank. Then, I'm a big believer in the power of one percent. Looking yeah. at ways where we can increase revenue one percent consecutively over periods of time. So the cumulative effect for this firm is uh, over a two-year period, we increased revenue 45% um, total, so roughly a little over 20% per year for two yeah. years. The profit that was generated paid 100% uh, of my consulting fees and gave the owner another 100% return on their okay. on their spend, so it took two years in this case. Um, you know, I know for me, I hired a, a marketing firm to come in and help me with my brand messaging. Yeah. Uh, I did that two years ago. Uh, this year, I'm having my best year ever in the 14 years that I've been in business. Yeah. So I would say, you know, when you buy a stock. You're interested in buying quality stocks that aren't big gainers because big gainers also can be big losers. But if you can earn 10% year over year, your money yeah. compounds every seven years, roughly. And so uh, I'd say um, slow and steady wins the race. You know, if you can get a decent return in the first year or two, I think you've hit a home run. Okay. Well, one of the things that that I, that we bump into is that everybody's an expert now. How how do how do you get between 
what's signal and what's noise. You know, every like I said, and I was telling you before we started. You know, my my wife's a therapist, and she, you know, there is all kinds of noise in her industry of you know solving problems. When in fact, you know, they there's a lot of there's a lot of complex trauma and different things that they have to deal with that requires specialization. So my point is that anybody can write a blog article about about profitability and this, that, and the other. How do I find people like you that are going to give me that 10% return year over year over year? Yeah, I subscribe to the philosophy of people do business with people that they know and they trust. Right. And so I always put relationships first, Ed. Uh, I just think we were all put on this earth to figure out a way to live together and to help each other. And so I find that relationships follow a progression. You know, first, I get to know somebody and they get to know me. Then we like each other. Then we try each other. Then we trust each other. And then we refer each other. And so going through that relationship progression, uh, I think it's totally based on relationships. You sort the noise from the people that you really want to do business with based on the quality of the relationship that's, uh, that's developed. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're, I was just looking at, you know, the, you know, our deal flow and, and we spend so much money on external marketing, but all of, I'll, I'll bet 80% of our revenue comes from referrals. People, yep. people doing business, you know, that we've done a good job for that have referred us, you know, those. And, and so I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, but so there's not like you know this is how you sniff out I don't want to say a fraud because I don't I don't I don't mean a fraud this is this is how to sniff out who's best in class versus those that probably should be on junior varsity how anything yeah. come to mind yeah so um, I'm sure you've probably had this experience uh, there are a lot of people on LinkedIn uh-huh. that basically put relationships last yeah. You know, you're their best friend. They don't even know you. You don't even know them. But by golly, they have a solution to a problem (laughs) that you didn't even know you had. And we all get those those emails and those messages on LinkedIn. And so I think to kind of sniff those out, uh, who approaches me trying to sell me something rather than getting to know me? Yeah, I mean, I gotta, you don't have the right I, to sell me unless you know me and yeah. I know you. And so yeah. that, would be, that would be one easy that's, that's way. The other thing I, I usually do is when I'm going through and looking at my LinkedIn feed, if there are people that are really making some really solid comments or suggestions in a in a LinkedIn exchange. Yeah. I kind of determine, hey, I'd like to know more about that person just based on some of the insights they're sharing. Yeah, I agree. I mean that providing some meaningful con- comments versus just broadcast broadcast stuff. I get it. Yeah. So I I know we're pushing on time, but so if 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 you have a couple more minutes, I I got yeah, one more, absolutely. A couple questions. 
right. So I know you do you you do some exit planning work, and so I wanted to focus a little bit about you know are you seeing business owners that that are coming prepared to sell or or are they are they playing catch up and you're trying to fix things before they go to market? Uh, definitely the latter. Uh, as I said earlier, that business owner is so busy working in the business. Uh, they're not working on the business. All of a sudden, a business owner maybe that has uh, run a business for 20 years, uh, he or she finds themselves, gosh, I'm 60, 61, 62. I'm not going to be doing this a whole lot longer. And by golly, I have done nothing to build the value of my business. So um, the default is the business owners that I run into have done little to no planning. And the other concept that you and I probably both deal with is that business owner that has not created transferable value in their business um, and how they do that uh, is, you know, is a way that uh, that you can truly try value, but very little to no planning. And and that's what's heartbreaking is because that that either I don't want to say tragedy, but circumstances, life circumstances come bumping into them, and and now they're forced into a decision on how to make this illiquid asset liquid. Yep. And and boy, that that is a heartbreaking situation when when. Yeah, the, it, like I said, it, it's it's not necessarily that you can't transfer the the business, but the problem is it it's not going to transfer for what you want, and so that creates a lot of the the challenges that at least we see. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what makes exit planning effective? I mean, what 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 are the what are the things that you're doing that makes an an exit, you know, the, whether, whether you, I, I mean, granted, if you have a lot of runway, it, that's a, that's a, that's an easy layup. There's all kinds of things you could do, but the people that, <laughs> that are hearing this going, man, I, I, I really want to sell my company. I haven't done anything. So what, what are the, are, are there any things as the profitability coach? Is there anything that you can, you can suggest that would, that lead, would lead me to, a better than average exit? Yeah. So I'm going to try to answer that question and try to tell a story at the same time. All right. So we've all sold houses. And when we sell a house, we get it ready for sale. Usually fresh coat of paint, maybe some new carpet. You know, what sells houses from what I've been told are uh, bathrooms and kitchens and so you want to be sure that you've got everything updated. Generally, you're not going to try to sell your house yourself, or you shouldn't, because what you think it's worth and what that appraiser for that mortgage lender thinks it's worth, or the, or the buyer, um, you always want to have someone between you. So selling a business, sprucing things up, is really creating a management team that can successfully run the business and transfer the value to that team. Uh, I've found uh, 
having that management team being sure they're compensated in a way that they're not going to walk out the day the business gets sold. So you need to have some kind of arrangement where there's what I call stay pay. Yeah. Uh, frankly, um, financial statements need to be reliable, preferably audited, but at least reviewed by an independent CPA so that you have financials that have been verified by an independent third party, just like when you get your house appraised, it's by an independent third party. Uh, I think it's ideal to have a business growth plan that you can hand that potential uh, uh, buyer to show how the business can be grown. And I think it's also important to have documented processes so that that business owner knows how you make money, uh, how you have a repeatable sales process, a repeatable uh, operations or delivery process, and then a uh, accounting and finance process. So mostly uh, I'm looking for management with stay pay, reliable financial statements, and documented processes. I'm sure there's some other equally important things, but I'm I think those are, those are the main ones. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you even a harder question. Out of sure. those, which one's most important? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. <I> know. <laughs> you know, you're welcome. Businesses businesses are um, are run by people. You know, because real estate's location, location, location. I'm gonna say companies are management, management, management. So I'm saying having the management team. Okay. Is important. I got it. You know, one of the, and it, it would be great in your analogy of, of selling a house, like, you know, it's, it's bathrooms and kitchens and, and there's empirical data that says, you know, if you fix up your kitchen and your bathroom, this, you know, your house will sell or it will, you know, it'll, you'll get X number of dollars back. I, unfortunately, I, to my knowledge, I don't think there's anything like that in business. That if you know what, if you uh, you you add replace your your antiquated legs, you know, you're going to get your money back. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I'm I'm in agreement. You know, yeah. when a when a buyer buys a business, they're looking towards buying that business and the income stream that comes with it. Mm -hmm. but they're entitled to a return on their investment. And at the end of the day, they have a return that they want to earn based on the amount of the business that they're paying. And uh, pure and simple, uh, when we invest in stocks, we're looking for a rate of return. When we're sure. investing in a closely held business, we're looking for the same thing. And potentially, we're looking for an even higher return uh, yeah. because we want to get compensated for the risk of buying that business as well. Yeah, we say the same thing. Not only are you looking for a return a return on your investment, you're looking a return of your investment, you know? Yep. So it's it's, yep. it's two components. Yep. All right, so so I finish every one of my interviews with this with the same question. So if there was one piece of advice, just one that you could that that you know, they they spent a half hour with you and me. What what would that piece of advice be that would have the most immediate impact 
on their business? You got one good nugget? I love that question. Um, So I think what I would say is um, where are the 1% improvements that you can make in your sales process, in your uh, cost of goods or cost of services process, if you're a service business, your delivery process, and then your billing and payment process. We've already talked about a 1% increase in your top line in sales. What's the cumulative effect of those 1%? What if I can buy my materials or labor better and reduce my costs that way? What if I can reduce overhead 1%? What if I can collect my receivables one day faster or turn my inventory one day faster? The cumulative effect of all of those would be huge. And the way that you're doing that is you're shortening either the cycle times you're eliminating your mistakes or you're improving your business model in each of those three aspects of your business. Doing that, I think you're well on your way to really having a game changer of a company. So, and I agree. So where can people find you? And and do you do work throughout the country? I do. do Oh, good. I have clients in Seattle, uh, Texas, uh, all over the Midwest, uh, up and down the East Coast. So, no, uh, uh, where there's technology, I can I can play. (laughs) Got Uh, it. So, and you're based. Yeah, you're based in Georgia, right? I'm I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. Nice. Um, My website is www.theprofitabilitycoach.net. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. My profile is Bill J. McDermott. Uh, I am on Instagram as the Profitability Coach. Nice. And uh, so you can also find my uh, phone number uh, and email contacts either on my LinkedIn profile or on my website as well. But Got my it. email for anyone that's listening is bill at theprofitabilitycoach.net. Well, we will have all your contact information in the show notes. So so if you didn't catch it, I can assure you we will have it readily available for you. So Bill, you know what? I, I this uh this absolutely was everything I'd hoped for. So I, 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 I'm so grateful for all the time. I, I know, you know, you and me, we start talking about time. And, you know, the value of it. And, and I, I so appreciate you going over with me uh, a little bit. And, I, and I'm certain everyone will, will, will have gained a, a lot from this, from our time together. So thanks. Yeah, again. We, you made it easy for me. You asked some great <laughs> questions. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut us off. And I, I, once again, I appreciate uh, you being with us. Very good. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc., All rights reserved.